This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of cabovirus foot in pediatrics and adults from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Cabovirus foot is a common condition that may be caused by a neurologic or traumatic disorder seen in both the pediatric and adult population that presents with a cavus arch and hindfoot virus. Diagnosis is made clinically with the presence of a foot deformity characterized by cavus, hindfoot virus, plantar flexion of the first ray, and forefoot adduction. A Coleman block test is useful to assess for the flexibility of the hindfoot deformity to assist with surgical planning. Treatment ranges from orthotics to operative soft tissue release and operative osteotomies depending on patient age and flexibility of the foot deformity. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, in terms of demographics of cabovirus foot, this condition is seen in both pediatric and adult populations. In terms of anatomic location, when bilateral, it's often hereditary or congenital. Moving on to etiology, the deformity in a cabovirus foot is characterized by cavus, that is an elevated longitudinal arch, plantar flexion of the first ray and forefoot pronation, hindfoot varus, and forefoot adduction. The pathophysiology of cabovirus foot can be secondary to neurologic conditions, idiopathic reasons, or traumatic etiologies. So starting with neurologic, know that 67% of cabovirus feet are due to a neurologic condition. Diagnosis of a neurologic condition is critical to render appropriate treatment. In the setting of a unilateral cabovirus foot, you should rule out a tethered spinal cord or a spinal cord tumor. In the setting of a bilateral cabovirus foot, this is most commonly due to Charcot-Marie tooth disease. Remember that muscle imbalances generate the deformity in a cabovirus foot. Specifically, a weak tibialis anterior and peroneus brevis are overpowered by a strong peroneus longus and posterior tibialis. This results in a plantar flex first ray and forefoot pronation with compensatory hindfoot varus. With the first metatarsal plantar flexed and forefoot pronated, the medial forefoot strikes the ground first. The subtalar joint supinates to bring the lateral forefoot to the ground and maintain three-point contact, resulting in hindfoot varus. While initially flexible, hindfoot varus can become rigid with time. Idiopathic forms of cabovirus foot is usually subtle and bilateral. Traumatic forms of cabovirus foot can be secondary to a talus fracture malunion, compartment syndrome, or crush injury. As far as associated conditions with cabovirus foot, conditions that present with cabovirus foot include Charcot-Marie tooth disease, cerebral palsy, Friedrich's ataxia, spinal cord lesions, polio, and amniotic band syndrome. We'll talk about conditions caused by the presence of cabovirus foot later on in the episode. As far as the presentation of patients with cabovirus foot, they typically have a history of recurrent ankle sprains and lateral ankle pain, secondary to perineal tendon pathology. They may also have a history of lateral foot pain from excessive weight bearing by the lateral foot due to the deformity. This can also result in fifth metatarsal stress fractures. Patients may also present with a history of painful plantar calluses under the first metatarsal head and the fifth metatarsal head or base. Finally, patients may also have a history of plantar fasciitis from an elevated medial arch, forefoot pronation, and a tight gastrocnemius, which leads to contracture of the plantar fascia. Physical exam should involve the Coleman block test, which evaluates flexibility of the hindfoot deformity. The technique involves placing a one-inch block under the lateral foot. This eliminates contribution of the plantar flexed first ray and forefoot pronation to the hindfoot deformity. As far as findings of a Coleman block test, a flexible hindfoot will correct to neutral or valgus when the block is placed under the lateral aspect of the foot. 
a rigid hind foot will not correct to neutral. Coleman block test guides surgical treatment. A flexible hind foot deformity resolves with forefoot corrective procedures. A rigid hind foot deformity requires corrective hind foot osteotomy in addition to forefoot procedures. One of the findings on physical exam can be what's known as a peekaboo heel, in which an anterior standing examination shows a varus heel, quote, peaking around the ankle. Physical exam may also reveal prominent first metatarsal fat pads. A silver scolds test is used to check dorsiflexion with both the knee in flexion and the knee in extension. If tight only with the knee in extension, then the gastrocnemius is tight. If it's tight also with knee flexion, then the soleus is also tight. Keep in mind that gastrocnemius tightness often presents with a cavovarus foot. Physical exam may also reveal an altered gait. Patients may have an unstable base of support, and they may have an increased double limb stance and decreased single limb stance. Another finding on physical exam includes wasting of the first dorsal interosseous muscle of the hand, which is suggestive of Charcot-Marie tooth disease. On spine exam, scoliosis is suggestive of Charcot-Marie tooth disease or spinal dysraphism. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a standing AP and lateral radiographs of the ankle. In addition, a standing AP, lateral, and oblique radiographs of the foot. Findings on the AP foot include a talocalcaneal angle of less than 20 degrees, with normal being between 20 to 45 degrees, and this indicates a hind foot varus. Other findings on the AP foot view includes talonavicular overcoverage, where a talonavicular angle of greater than 7 degrees indicates forefoot adduction. You may also find metatarsal overlap on the AP foot that signifies forefoot pronation. Findings on the lateral foot radiographs include a lateral talo first metatarsal angle or a Miri's angle of greater than 4 degrees with apex dorsal. Keep in mind that a break in Miri's line is caused by plantar flexion of the first ray in a cavovarus foot. Other findings on the lateral foot view include a calcaneal pitch or inclination angle of greater than 30 degrees. You may also find a sinus tarsi see-through sign and a double talar dome sign due to external rotation of the ankle and the hind foot relative to the x-ray cassette, which is placed along the medial border of the adducted forefoot. You may also find a bell-shaped cuboid on the lateral foot view, as well as an increased distance between the base of the fifth metatarsal and the medial cuneiform. On the oblique view, you may find metatarsal stress fractures, as well as calcaneonavicular coalitions. Other studies may include electrodiagnostic studies like EMG and nerve conduction studies, and keep in mind that the diagnostic algorithm for Charcot-Marie tooth disease generally dictates a neurologic physical exam, electrodiagnostic studies, as well as genetic testing. Genetic studies are used to confirm the diagnosis after physical exam and electrodiagnostic studies. Treatment of cavovarus foot can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes accommodative shoe wear, full-length semi-rigid insole orthotic with a depression for the first ray and a lateral wedge, supramalleolar orthosis, ankle foot orthosis, or a lace-up ankle brace and or high-top shoe or boots. As far as indications for accommodative shoe wear, this is rarely sufficient except in mild deformity. Indications for a full-length semi-rigid insole orthotic with a depression for the first ray and a lateral wedge is for a mild cavus foot deformity in the adult, Keep in mind that this is not indicated in children. Indications for a supramalleolar orthosis is for more severe cavovarus deformity, recalcitrant to shoe wear accommodations. An ankle foot orthosis, or an AFO, 
may be needed if equinus is also present, resulting in an equinocavovirus foot deformity. This works best if the equinus is a dynamic deformity, not a rigid deformity. A lace-up ankle brace and or a high-top shoe or boots may be considered in moderate deformities when the patient does not tolerate the more rigid bracing with a supramalleolar orthosis or an SMO or an ankle foot orthosis, otherwise known as an AFO. Operative options for a cavovarus foot include a soft tissue reconstruction, lateralizing calcaneal valgus-producing osteotomy, or a triple arthrodesis. A soft tissue reconstruction is indicated for failure of non-operative treatment. This is performed with a combination of the following procedures. A plantar release, a perineus longus to brevis transfer, posterior tibial tendon transfer, lengthening of the gastrocnemius or tendo Achilles, first metatarsal dorsiflexion osteotomy, lateral ankle ligament reconstruction, for example, a brostrum ligament reconstruction, or a Jones transfer or transfers of the EHL to the neck of the first metatarsal and lesser toe extensors to the second through fifth metatarsal necks. Indications for a plantar release include cavus deformity, and the technique involves a plantar fascia release and or a Steinler stripping, which is release of the short flexors off the calcaneus. Indications for a peroneus longus to brevis transfer include a plantar flexed first ray. The technique involves decreasing the plantar flexion force on the first ray without weakening eversion. Indications for a posterior tibial tendon transfer is for muscle imbalance, as the posterior tibialis typically is markedly stronger than everters and maintains strength for a long time in most cavovarus feet. You may also consider transfer of the posterior tibialis to the dorsum of the foot if severe dorsiflexion weakness exists of the anterior tibialis. Indication for a lengthening of the gastrocnemius or tendo Achilles is for true ankle equinus. Keep in mind that gastrocnemius recession produces less calf weakness and can be combined with plantar release simultaneously. A tendo Achilles lengthening should be staged several weeks after plantar release. Indications for a first metatarsal dorsiflexion osteotomy is for a flexible hindfoot varus deformity, that is, with a normal Coleman block test. This corrects the forefoot pronation, driving the hindfoot deformity. Indications for a lateral ankle ligament reconstruction, for example, a brostrum ligament reconstruction, is for chronic ankle instability due to ligamentous incompetence following longstanding cavovarus. Finally, the indication for a Jones transfer or transfers of the EHL to the neck of the first metatarsal and lesser toe extensors to the second through fifth metatarsal necks include toe clawing combined with cavus foot. This procedure is performed if the indication is met and time permits. Keep in mind that the modified Jones transfer for the hallux includes an IP joint fusion. Indications for a lateralizing calcaneal valgus-producing osteotomy is if there is a rigid hindfoot varus deformity, that is, with an abnormal Coleman block test. Finally, a triple arthrodesis is almost never indicated due to very poor long-term results. Some complications to be aware of in the setting of a cavovarus foot include ankle instability, stress fractures, hallux sesamoiditis, perineal tendon pathology, and plantar fasciitis. As far as ankle instability, Keep in mind that standard lateral ankle ligament reconstruction will fail if cavovarus deformity is not concomitantly addressed. Untreated ankle stability can lead to varus ankle arthritis. As far as stress fractures, specifically you may see a fifth metatarsal base fracture or Jones fracture, a fourth metatarsal fracture, a navicular fracture, and or a medial malleolus fracture. Hallexesmoiditis can occur from overload from a plantar flexed first metatarsal head. 
Perineal tendon pathology can specifically include tendonitis, tears, subluxation, or dislocation. The peroneus brevis is most commonly involved. Finally, plantar fasciitis can occur from contracture of the plantar fascia, which results from an elevated medial arch, forefoot pronation, and a tight gastrocnemius. The prognosis of a cavovarus foot depends on deformity severity, etiology, and patient age. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 28-year-old man presents with foot pain that is worse when playing soccer. He is found on examination to have pain at the lateral ankle and on a lateral radiograph of the foot, a line drawn through the first metatarsal extends dorsal to the talus proximally. He is diagnosed with a neuromuscular disorder. What muscle is most likely overactive in this patient? And the choices are 1. Anterior tibialis, 2. Posterior tibialis, 3. Flexor hallucis longus, 4. Flexor hallucis brevis, and 5. Extensor hallucis longus. The correct answer to this question is 2. Posterior tibialis. So the patient has pes cavus related to Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which can be associated with an overactive posterior tibialis muscle. A common symptom with cavus slash cavovarus foot is lateral column overload causing lateral ankle pain, tendonitis, and sprains. On imaging, Miri's line is a line through the first metatarsal, which should normally extend proximally directly through the talus. In Charcot-Marie tooth, Pes cavus or cavovarus is related to an imbalance between agonists and antagonists with the tibialis anterior and peroneus brevis weaker compared to the posterior tibialis and peroneus longus. The agonist-antagonist relationship is the peroneus longus and tibialis anterior with the peroneus longus being stronger and the posterior tibialis and peroneus brevis with the posterior tibialis being stronger. The first line of treatment is non-operative, often with the lateral heel wedge and metatarsal head recess insert. Kaplan et al. present an overview of the surgical management of cavovarus foot, particularly as it relates to Charcot-Marie tooth. They review sources of deformity, including muscle imbalances, and review their preferred approach for operative treatment. A similar but non-neurologic condition is the entity of subtle cavus foot. This is not associated with muscle weakness, although it can have a similar but less marked presentation. Chilvers et al. discussed subtle cavus foot and its association with injuries in athletic patients. They reviewed the clinical presentation and emphasized the need to correct the underlying cavus foot to prevent ongoing injury and symptoms. Manoli and Graham reviewed the subtle cavus foot, discussing its pathoanatomy, presentation, and treatment. They highlight a peekaboo sign on exam where the medial heel may be visible when looking at a patient's feet from the front. They also emphasize assessing calcaneal varus from behind and utilizing the Coleman block test. Moving on to the next question, the Coleman block test is used to test for, and the choices are 1. Flexibility of the forefoot, 2. Flexibility of the hind foot, 3. Valgus deformity of the hind foot, and four, tightness of the tendo Achilles. The correct answer to this question is two, flexibility of the hind foot. So the Coleman block test is used to determine the flexibility of the hind foot. When a block is placed under the lateral border of the foot, the medial column is unsupported. As a result, the first metatarsal drops off the side of the block. 
If the subtalar joint is flexible, there is no fixed varus deformity of the hind foot. The hind foot will no longer be in varus from behind. The varus deformity of the hind foot will be corrected. If there is no subtalar motion, the varus deformity remains fixed. Moving on to the next question. With the cavovarus foot, plantar flexion of the first ray is driven by a weak muscle X being overpowered by a strong muscle Y. A tendon transfer to correct this involves transferring muscle Y to muscle Z. Which muscles are represented by X, Y, and Z respectively? And the choices are 1, X is peroneus longus, Y is tibialis anterior, and Z is peroneus brevis. 2, X is tibialis anterior, Y is peroneus longus, and Z is peroneus brevis. 3, X is tibialis anterior, Y is peroneus brevis and Z is peroneus longus. 4. X is peroneus brevis, Y is peroneus longus, and Z is flexor digitorum longus. And 5. X is posterior tibialis, Y is peroneus brevis, and Z is flexor digitorum longus. The correct answer to this question is 2. X is tibialis anterior, Y is peroneus longus, and Z is peroneus brevis. So weakness of the tibialis anterior with strong perineal longus muscle tone is believed to be one of the factors causing a plantar flexed first metatarsal. The peroneus longus to brevis transfer attempts to correct this as well as the posterior tibialis slash peroneus brevis imbalance. To quickly review, cavovarus foot deformity is related to an imbalance between agonist and antagonist, with the tibialis anterior and peroneus brevis weaker compared to the posterior tibialis and peroneus longus. Agonist-antagonist relationship is peroneus longus, tibialis anterior, with the peroneus longus stronger, and posterior tibialis and peroneus brevis, with the posterior tibialis stronger. The first line of treatment is non-operative, often with a lateral heel wedge and metacarpal head recess insert. If non-operative treatment fails and the foot is still supple, tendon transfers can be considered to correct the imbalance or imbalances. Olson et al. used cadaveric biomechanical modeling to examine the role of peroneus longus, extensor hallucis longus, and flexor hallucis longus on position and pressure distribution of the first ray by simulating muscle imbalances. The results indicated that the peroneus longus was statistically the greatest contributor to the elevation of the plantar pressure beneath the first metatarsal, while the EHL and FHL were primarily responsible for the angular changes resulting in the clawed hallux deformity. Younger et al. reviewed the adult cavovarus foot. They note that the combination of the relatively strong tibialis posterior and peroneus longus muscles with the weak peroneus brevis and tibialis anterior muscles results in a hindfoot varus and forefoot valgus position. In patients with muscle imbalance, well-planned osteotomies and tendon transfers provide more reliable outcomes than does triple arthrodesis. Moving on to the next question. The lateral Coleman block test for the evaluation of cavus foot is used to diagnose and the choices are 1. Lateral ankle instability, 2. Medial ankle instability, 3. Hindfoot deformity flexibility, 4. Forefoot deformity flexibility, and 5. Gastroxoleus contracture. The correct answer to this question is 3. Hindfoot deformity flexibility. So again, the lateral Coleman block test is performed by placing a 1-inch block under the lateral border of the forefoot. 
This block helps support the lateral border of the foot and corrects a flexible heel varus deformity to neutral if the heel varus is compensatory for a plantar flex first ray. If the heel deformity does not correct to neutral, it has at least some fixed deformity and therefore will most likely require a calcaneal osteotomy. And moving on to the final question, surgical treatment of an adult cavovarus foot with fixed forefoot valgus that does not correct on Coleman block testing should consist of, and the choices are one, lateral column lengthening through the calcaneal anterior process, two, a medial displacement calcaneal osteotomy, three, first metatarsal cuneiform fusion in increased plantar flexion, four, dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first metatarsal and a medial displacement calcaneal osteotomy, and five, dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first metatarsal and a lateral displacement calcaneal osteotomy. The correct answer to this question is five, dorsiflexion osteotomy of the first metatarsal and a lateral displacement calcaneal osteotomy. So cava varus feet are characterized by plantar flexion of the first metatarsal and hind foot varus. A rigid cava varus hind foot does not correct on Coleman block testing. Correction of these rigid deformities requires either lateral displacement or lateral closing wedge osteotomies of the calcaneus and dorsiflexion osteotomies of the involved metatarsals. Lateral column lengthening procedures are used to correct painful flat foot deformities. That's all for this review about cavovarus foot in pediatrics and adults. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast. <laughs>